Okay, hey, hey, everyone. Dashian Miller here, and we're here with this week's episode of Kuden Radio. This is episode, what is this, 174, and uh, I'm flying solo tonight. Uh, James has a few things over the next week or two that uh, are shifting his schedule. All for the good, we're actually aiming to get him in full-time at the Academy uh, so we can keep growing in that direction. Got a bunch of things going on. Uh, I sent an email out earlier, but I am apologizing to my Foundations of Ninja Self-Defense program folks. Uh, Completely dropped the ball. Uh, Again, I was flying. I've been flying solo all day today, so um, I did not get the information out and get things set up for their normal live Q&A class that we would have uh, or have had tonight at the dojo. So we're going to get you guys rescheduled and you can get in on the um, the class tomorrow with everyone that's in on that. So if you have any questions or whatever about the uh, techniques you've been learning over the last uh, couple of weeks, you uh, you can ask it then. Again, I apologize. Just lots to do. Anyway, what we're going to be taking a look at during this episode are uh, what I call uh, dream-killing fears, right? Things that cause um, cause us to either not take action or, well, it's just causing us to not take action, right? Uh, quit early, those kind of things, right? So we're going to dip into our Nimpo Mikyo uh, studies and training and uh, take a look at things. This is also a heads up on uh, a new program we're going to be starting next week. Uh, I have a uh, uh, kind of a pre-introductory webinar coming up this Thursday, so uh, we should have the uh, registration page and all that. Again, it's free, but we should have the registration page all set up by early tomorrow and I'll have an email going out. So if you're not on the email list, well, then you're going to find out about this stuff late. But anyway, um, so we're we're moving the folks that were in the Sanji Shichidobon uh, base level program into a next phase. And that means that that opens the door for anybody else who wants to jump in on that, um, leading toward uh, training in actual Mikyo. All right. So anyway, um, well, I'll discuss more of that um, in, in over the next coming uh, couple of days. But again, for now, uh, so things might be a little bit wonky tonight as, I, as I'm acting as my own producer. But either way. Right. Um, so, again, we want to take a look at um, just what's at the heart of inactivity or choices or just. You know, we we all started out with some dreams, right? We all started out with some goals, um, and we might even have them now, right? But are we where we thought we would be? Are we where we wish we could be, right? That kind of thing. So we'll take a look at those uh, when we get back, all right? So let's go ahead and officially fire this up. So the big question is this. How are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves, and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kudan Radio, real training for real people in a real world. All right, and we are back. Well, I guess we're officially starting. Anyway, got 
people still trickling in, and that's fine. Again, the uh, title or theme for this episode is uh, Defending Against Dream-Killing Fears. Sounds all ominous, doesn't it? Anyway, um, so uh, the the view from the foundational studies that are required for anybody that's following the Mikio path, for those of you who are, those of you who are in it, you probably already are dabbling with this stuff, but the view is that fear is, it's ever present, right? It's going on all the time. It underlies just about everything that the unenlightened mind um, involves itself in, okay? Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, five hindrances specifically that are rooted in this kind of thing and how they kind of uh, pop up. Again, this is not a, this is not a, an official deep dive class or whatever like I would do with folks that um, I know are specifically looking at that kind of thing, right? So we're going to be coming at this topic specifically from the perspective of what the hell is getting in my way and why can't I seem to move myself farther, faster, deeper, whatever. Okay. Um, or what, what causes me to stay in fan mode? I don't mean fan like the rotary thing that blows cold air on your face. I mean, um, you know, I imagine myself a practitioner, but Really, I'm more of a dabbler uh, and um, more of a fan, okay, uh, in my own life, right? Now, I don't imagine myself to be a stage magician or anything like that, but I've been dabbling in magic as an amateur, wow, since I was probably eight or nine years old, right? Saw my first magic show, and uh, so my, I think my grandfather worked, well, he did, he worked at a manufacturing plant that made these uh, big trailers that uh tractor trailers right that they pull around whatever you know the 18 wheelers pull around um and they had a family uh christmas event at the plant which included this this uh professional magician and i still still remember like him turning a bunch of red white and blue silks into this freaking ginormous uh american flag and whatnot it just it was that was the thing that was that was the thing did it for me uh, and I have, I have a, a bookcase that's dedicated to nothing but, well, it's overflowing, nothing but uh, books on magic and uh, magicians from days gone by, modern ones, street magic, all kinds of things, right? And then I've got, you know, I've got the typical things, right? Cards and all kinds of things, right? So it's kind of the geek side of me, right? That and my Star Trek stuff, but either way, right? Um uh, so, you know, I know uh, enough tricks or whatever to entertain at parties or get-togethers or at the dojo if I'm trying to convey a certain type of lesson uh, or whatever, right? But they're, they're just these neat little things, right? So uh, I'm in I'm – not, I'm not even a dedicated amateur, right? I mean, when I say I dabble, I may – pull the stuff out and dust it off and, and work a couple of things here or there uh, before maybe a lesson that I'm going to give that this would be a neat little eye opener kind of thing or something that um, 
gets around someone's familiarity with a lesson. Okay, do you know what I mean by that? And James isn't on, so I can't ask him as the proxy for you, right? But familiarity with a lesson is we've seen something enough that we think we know it. And so when a teacher teaches on it again, right, we think we're paying attention, but we've really tuned out, you know, because we know, right? Um, but what we know is how we translated it so that we could understand it and be satisfied with it or okay with it um, up to this point, right? So, um, but I may do that or I may pull things out and, you know, kind of brush up on things or whatever. Um, but more often than that, I'm watching these uh, international like magicians award ceremonies or whatever, or these, these gatherings where these, geez, these phenomenal uh, guys and girls do their thing. Right. And it's just, you know, awe-inspiring right so um in that regards i'm kind of like the person who says that they study ninjutsu or they study martial arts but um the bulk of their day is spent binge watching youtube shorts or youtube longs or tiktok videos or whatever right um with the intention right that I'm going to get off my butt and actually practice that, or I take some notes and I'm going to do that. Um, and even if we do it, right, how how intensely, how deeply did we do it? Or did we just do it enough that we satisfied our, uh, you know, we satisfied ego, ego's need to feel like it's doing something, right? But... Are we engaging with the challenge? Are we engaging with the discomfort? Are we engaging with the pain? Wait, whoa, 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 Sensei, what the hell is this? Challenge, discomfort, pain, those kind of things. Where the hell does that come from? Well, that's at the root of everything, right? Um, I used to, I used to kind of believe what, what used to be said. Well, it's still said, it's said all the time, right? About people's biggest fears. Okay. Um, the fear of what? Right. Well, the fear of death, the fear of public speaking, the fear uh, it lists a whole bunch of fears. Right. One of the people's number one. Okay, you know what? People's number one fear. Is the fear of being afraid. Okay? To lose ground, to feel like they're lost or they don't know. Or they're afraid of being exposed um, because they bumped into somebody who actually knows and has experience about the thing that they've been telling everybody that they know, right? Um, and if you don't think that, that happens, you're in the martial arts world. I don't know what kind of crack you're smoking, but one of the biggest fears in the martial arts world, especially by instructors, is to allow their their students to be in the presence of another instructor who might, might know more or might tell the students something different than they've been telling them or whatever, right? Um, 
you know, I just, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon, right? Um, and I know we all know, especially in this art, we all know people that, you know, host seminars and bring in other instructors and those kind of things, right? Um, by and large, most who do it bring in their teachers or they bring in seniors, right? Because they want to learn too. So, you know, it's going to be new to the students, just like it's new to them. So it's, it's part of the progress. So there's no contradiction going on there. And, and then there's a smaller, much smaller percentage that host peers or people they perceive to be peers, right? But I believe that most of that is done because, you know, they're helping out the peer, right? Kind of social proof or credibility or whatever, or they're getting helped out by the peer. Um, but there's less fear going on that the peer is going to be teaching something that runs contrary to, uh, to what the teacher actually teaches, right? Because, well, they're peers, right? And they know each other. Well, if they know each other, then they've trained together. And they, if they're friends, then chances are they have pretty much the same belief system, the same perspective on things, the same, right? It's just, tends to it tends to be how we as human beings flock together you know old saying right birds of a feather flock together okay i know it's cheesy but it's true okay so all of this boils down to like the, the, this this fear of one sort of another right we all have different things and that's that's we'll, we'll touch on some of these um during this episode but what it comes down to is we have an underlying sense of not being settled, right? Um, of not really feeling secure, right? Not, uh, I, I'm, you know, in my other guys, right? My other superhero costume, right? Uh, is a corporate workplace violence consultant. Um, and for the longest time, uh, I, I had some insecurities, not, a, they had nothing to do with sitting down with a CEO, or a senior VP of operations, manufacturing, whatever, okay? None of those things, right? Um, I, it was unspoken, and I had, for the longest time I had a hard time putting this into words, right? But I was concerned about, and it was actually an unfounded fear, I was concerned about, what are some good words? Being found out, right? Now, not a con man. I didn't make this stuff up, right? I've got all this knowledge. I've got all this experience, right? I've dealt with, I don't know, I lost count, right, of the number of um, of actual violent people, right? So I know how those situations come about. I know how they're triggered. I know, you know, whatever, right? So, but... I was working with a mentor in that direction. And one day he mentioned um, this idea of imposter syndrome. I thought, serious shit, really? I mean, what other reason would I have of being quote unquote found out? Okay. And what's really odd and apparently uh, very common is that people that, not only know their stuff, 
but also know that like they're not the top person in the world or whatever. There's always somebody that knows more and whatever, right? Um, because the people that I'm talking about are constantly self-checking, right? Um, they have a, they register very high on the moral and ethical scale, those kind of things, right? These people are very, very uh, concerned often, right, uh, about not being good enough or not being the best or whatever, right? Very different from the con man or the con person, whatever you want to call them, right, where they don't give a shit, right? They're blowing smoke uh, up everybody's butt, right? And so they don't they don't give any consideration to this kind of thing because they don't self-check, right? All they have to do is keep the facade up, convince the right person until the check clears and everything's good. Um, but there's this, there's this fear. And for, for most people, it's unfounded. Now, here's what I had to, had to recognize, right? Um, I'm not trying to outdo anybody else. I'm not trying to be the best, right? I'm not trying to be king of the mountain, right? Um, and I recognize that whatever level I have when it comes to knowledge and experience, as long as I'm communicating what I have and I'm being honest about things, then I'm a perfect match for students or clients who know less than that. Now, if somebody knows more, right, then either I don't touch that or they recognize that I have a specialization in an area where they're weak. For instance, right, um, I was invited in to do a, an analysis of the security system, uh, workplace violence, all that kind of stuff, right, for uh, several of the plants within Nissan North America. That's freaking huge, okay? They have their own in-house security uh, manager, right? He's just head of security, right, for the entire thing. And they've got plants in Mexico, U.S., Canada, that kind of thing, right? I think they have like 32 facilities, something like that, right? And I only looked at, when I went to visit for three or four days, I only visited three. Um, but while they had all this stuff in place, what they didn't have was what I specialize in, which is not uh, zero tolerance policies and those kind of preventative actions. Okay. Will I help them with that? Sure, of course. Right. I'll assess what they have, that kind of thing. Right. My specialization is not on deterrence policies. Uh, the what we're going to do to you if you act out on the job. Right. My specialization is how to keep people safe and how to protect company assets when all that shit goes sideways. Right. When that zero tolerance policy just gets vaporized. Right. They didn't have anything like that. Okay. So. In that case, I was a perfect fit, but I wasn't in there to usurp the, you know, the 
I wasn't there to take the job of the of the security manager, but it took me half to three quarters of the first day being with him to allay his fears because he was afraid that this outside consultant that was coming in to assess things to see where improvement could be had or things could be, you know, beefed up or whatever, um, he was afraid I was going to take his job or get him fired. And what it took was for me to understand that his resistance had nothing to do with any of the security, anything else other than him losing his job. And when I said, look, man, look, I know what your concern is. I'm not here to do, I'm not here to take your job. Right? I'm not working for a corporation. I come in and partner with companies, but I'm not staying and hanging out with the neurosis that, that goes on and the political backstabbing and all that kind of crap in these things. That's why I'm an independent consultant, right? I come in and help, but I don't have to stay with you people. Okay. And I'm, I'm rather blunt when I, when I cover these kind of things, right? I said, I'm here to assess things. I'm sure that most of the stuff you have in place is perfectly fine, right? Wouldn't you want to know if something could be improved? But on top of that, wouldn't you want somebody on your side? Because I'm sure that there's lots of things that you wanted to put in place that you're getting all kinds of resistance from people that know nothing about security. They've got their own opinions and they're at a level in the C-suite where whatever they think and, and say and do trumps whatever your knowledge or expertise or whatever puts out. Right. So if I put out something that something needs to be done that you've wanted to put in place, that's going to have more clout. Sorry, dude. I'm an outsider. Right. And I'm coming in as a partner to the C-suite, not somebody they brought in to help them check boxes in the HR reports. And as soon as you recognize that, everything started to just pick up big time. Right. Um, but I had to recognize those things. Okay. I also had to recognize long before. I mean, can you imagine me going into Nissan North America and acting like I was groveling for a job or oh, please hire me, whatever, um, at that level, at that size, at that scale? Whew, holy shit. Um, it's just from my perspective, it's 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 not not doable. It's just, man, every day I'd have to worry about them seeing through the facade or whatever, right? So anyway, um, but what it, what has to happen are these things have to be dealt with, right? So uh, I heard somebody the other day was talking to a, a, a mentor of mine, and he said, you know, what if I do all these things and I figure out, right, I, I get the, the fears sewn up, I get the, you know, the problems handled, I get me handled, right? There's a part about a, a part of being a high performing. I'm going to use the term professionally minded, but that doesn't mean you have to be a professional, like a doctor, lawyer, consultant, whatever. I just mean somebody that carries themselves to a higher standard, right? Um, there's something that goes hand in hand with the expertise, right? Because you can be 
the best martial artist in your area, right? Martial arts instructor, self-defense guy, girl, whatever, right? You can be the best at whatever that field is, or just really, really, really good at it, right? Table maker, whatever, right? But if people see you as being insecure, or there's several other things we'll, we'll uh, mention today or whatever, right? Or you see you as that, it's going to be really difficult to get the level of trust that you need to do more than replace an hourly job, let's say. And even if you are working, this is not like you have to be like self-employed or whatever, right? And working on the job, okay? It's going to be really difficult to convince people, the higher-ups or whatever, that you deserve to be in a higher position or with more responsibility or whatever. Okay? And for those who just thought, well, I don't want to do that anyway, because uh, that's, you know, well, that's all based on the us against them mentality. And, um, you know, that's a whole other can of worms. Anyway, so let's get, let's get back to these things, right? So, um, this, this, deep level subconscious unconscious fear and again it can come from lots of different things lots of different areas <clears throat> i just mentioned mine but it'll actually produce other things that they themselves become hindrances they become the roadblocks right and until we identify them and we identify what comes from or what they come from right because again karma one, on one hand, karma's a bitch, okay? On the other hand, karma is universal, right? And for those of you who have not been in on a bunch of these things or been on any of my other trainings or whatever, right, we are not woo-woo defining or conventionally defining or whatever the word karma, right? Anything I deal with, whether it's uh, a Japanese concept within the martial arts or it's something from, even if it's an English term, right? We're going to make sure that we understand the actual definition of that thing so we don't play the same kind of dumbass mind games that dipshits are playing all the time these days, right? And then trying to make everybody else feel bad because you're not on the same bandwagon, right? So we need to understand what was being conveyed Let's say we're talking about a Japanese martial art, right? We need to understand what the hell they were talking about. Base translation, and I don't mean conventional translation. I mean the original concept and idea that they were presenting forward. So we don't run the risk of overlaying a 21st century Western translation over that thing. Okay, Simple case in point, uh, the word koshi, right? Japanese word koshi. In today's, today's world, in Japan, koshi, K-O-S-H-I, right, the one I'm referring to, an anatomical term, means hip. But let's go back a couple hundred years. Pre-Admiral Perry landing in Japan and bringing Western science, koshi was a region of the body and not a specific point. Okay, so... 
if we don't know that, we run the risk of doing what a lot of students do. We talk about using the koshi, right, to lift him or a koshi nage, right, a hip, hip throw, right? And then the teacher demonstrates something where you didn't use your hip, you used the side of your thigh or you used your waist or you, you didn't touch his hip at all, right? You scoop low on his thigh. Yes. But that's not his hip. Correct. But koshi means hip. Uh, koshi means hip today. What did koshi mean when they wrote the scroll? Okay. So again, we can run around and assume, but anyway, so again, going back to the base of this, right? We have an existential, right, uh, feeling of uncertainty and instability. Uh, it's just, it's always lying under the surface, right? So often what we will do is we'll distract ourselves, okay, distract ourselves with, sex, eating, uh, yoga, whatever, right? Needed to. Um, We'll distract ourselves with things so that we don't have to confront that thing or that so that we can add a layer to the facade, kind of like donkey in the uh, Shrek movies, right? Like parfaits and onions, right? They have layers. We just add another layer on there, right? Uh, that, that way it's less likely that something will bubble to the surface. Okay? I'm not saying that we shouldn't have these interests. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have any of these things. Right? What, what the, the foundational principles underlying Mikyo are all about is in knowing why. Right? Because it's one thing to blow smoke up other people's ass. But if we're blowing smoke up our own ass and we don't understand our own motivations, we don't understand our own fears and anxieties and all that, one, you can't work with them, right, to eliminate them or to to uh, get to that real state of fearlessness. Um, but you can't escape the control that they have over you. Right? We think we're in charge. Right? We think that we're absolutely rational when the truth is probably closer to what Einstein said about human beings. Human beings are really good at rationalizing things, but most human beings are not rational themselves, okay? Um, When I have discussions with people who, you know, try to push a lot of these social agendas or they try to do whatever it is that they're doing, right? I mean, my, my focus is on universal truth, not subjective truth, which is, that's not a truth. It's an opinion, right? It's a belief, right? Um, and and what they want to do is they want to push back with we with the well you don't like that I am you don't like that I do I don't care one way or another who you think you are what you want to be called anything like that okay I don't question your desire to be what I question is your logic and rationale and if you don't, then I'm not sure that we can have a conversation. Right. So anyway, um, 
so again, we have this existential feeling and uncertainty and instability, right? And this, this makes us anxious. We don't feel it all the time. We feel it when something starts bumping up against that. We feel it when somebody questions the logic, when somebody questions the actions, when somebody makes a comment, right? And I'm going to talk a little bit about, uh, just, I'll just, I've done this in the past or whatever, but I'll refer to some of these, some of these people that make comments on my videos. Right. A lot of people won't put anything out because they're not putting a target on themselves. Okay. Now they might say, well, I'm keeping all my stuff secret. I keep plenty of stuff secret. My dog has a problem and I don't know what it is. So if you hear some whimpering, he's already been out. But anyway, um, so, uh, We'll talk briefly about those things um, because what I pay attention to is when I have a feeling, when I have could be anger, could be you know whatever, right? Um, that in and of itself is food for contemplation, meditation. It's for uh, it's it's the impetus to help me figure out what's behind all that, right? Instead of running around and trying to avoid it, right? Because um, I don't, I don't try to reinforce the, the illusion or delusion that, you know, I'm, I don't know, anybody other than what I am, right? I put this stuff out. People make comments. Most of the comments fall on nothing, right? Some hit, right? But, if I feed into them, like one of the things we'll talk about is anger, hatred, right? Ill will, right? Right? Hope your ass loses all ability to hold whatever and you get all over yourself. That, right? So, um, if I feed it, I produce more, right? I produce more it's actually suffering for me because that person's already dropped their comment and probably will never see a comment that I leave for his comment. Or if I do leave one and now we've got this back and forth bullshit that people seem to feed into that kind of stuff. Right. Um, again, I use it for ferreting out problems. Okay. Because, If I if I put myself out there to help students, I know that I will attract people who are looking for that thing and are okay with this package. Age, no hair, gut, whatever. Okay? Because their focus is on the knowledge or the insights or whatever, right? Talk about that. As a matter of fact, I have an episode coming up um, in a couple of weeks uh, that's going to shoot holes in the those who can do and those who can't teach kind of thing, right? Um, but anyway, right? So we're going to use those things uh, because the more of this underlying anxiety that we can get rid of, the more we can live to our fullest potential. And I started mentioning this earlier, 
um, what happens if, right? I do all these things and I decide, look, this is, this is a level that's, that's quote unquote good enough for me, right? I'm happy here. I'm producing results, taking care of my family and whatever, right? I don't need to be, right? I don't need to be a Rockefeller. I don't need to be, you know, uh, Elon or I don't, whatever. I don't need to be at that level. Like I hit this level where like most of my, most of my stuff's taken care of and I'm comfortable. Okay. What about that? That's awesome. That's awesome. Right. Um, as long as there aren't these like things that are bubbling under the surface that, you know, you just don't tell anybody. Right. I, uh, I, I wanted to go that far, but, you know, this is getting to be a lot of work and this is getting to be a lot of whatever. Or, you know, I, I don't know that I have it in me or see. Okay. And we've talked about this in the past. Right? There's a lot of people running around uh, with the belief that they can think whatever they want and feel whatever they want. As long as they don't say it out loud or they don't act it out, then it doesn't count. Okay? There's this character in uh, in our Mikyo, right? Fudo Mio, right? Uh, a Nata. Uh, on the slide that I created, I'll pop that back up again, right? Um, he's this character, right, um, in the upper left behind my shoulder there, right? That's uh, just a statue that I have. But um, he carries a sword in one hand, and he carries a, a lasso or a coil of rope in the other hand, right? It's actually, for those who care, there's 113 symbols, on that one statue or painting or whatever, however the image shows up, there's 113 symbols. And they all represent different things based on the path and, and whatever. Okay. So we could do an entire program on nothing but, uh, Fudo Mio and probably cover 60 to 75% of the stuff that people would need for like being able to activate these lessons, right. To, to really generate a lot of personal power. Anyway, um, but the the sword is for dealing with external bullshit. It's for dealing with illusions, right? The veil of illusion that life, people, society, culture, family, whatever, right, has already thrown up in front of us. I don't mean throw up. I don't mean that. I mean, like, put up in front of us. Right. To convince us that life is a certain way or that reality is a certain way or whatever. And we need to work through that. Right. We need to brush it aside or whatever. So the sword represents the ability to cut in all directions. OK, so it's not a one way street. Right. And so we can cut through this and clear the way. It's kind of like, you know, if, if a bunch of steam or smoke popped up in front of you. Right. You fan the air. Right. Because you're clearing the mist. Right. Because when, when there's that, all that stuff there, and the thicker it is, the harder it is to see what's in front of you, right? What's, what's going on, okay? And so we want to be able to, to clear that away. So that's, what the, that's the purpose of the sword, okay? Um, the sword is actually uh, one of these diamond thunderbolts. It's one of these uh, – I just have a five. I have a gogo here for those who 
uh, again, for those of you on, on, uh, audio only, right? You're on, uh, Spotify or, uh, iTunes. I don't think it's iTunes anymore. What is it? Apple Podcast, whatever, right? Google Play. Uh, you're not going to be able to see this, but you could look up, uh, a Vajra, um, a Diamond Thunderbolt, Tibetan Buddhism, those kind of things, right? Um, but they, they come in different numbers of points. And this, this one happens to be a Goko, right? Five points. Okay. So we see the four around here and then the one up to the middle, right? But they have one that is a Sanko, Japanese word is Sanko, uh, which is, I'll try to hold this at the right angle of my camera so that it looks like there's only three, right? So there's one coming up the middle and then there's one from either side, right? So the Sanko represents the Sanmitsu, or the triple secrets of success, right? The channeling of thought, word, and deed all in one direction, okay? Just give me half a second here. I'm going to close my door. Too much traffic. All right. Sorry about that. Doing it from the home office. Anyway, so um, uh, the Fudo sword is actually a modified Sanko. Okay? It's about success, okay? So but what you end up having is if you if you look at his hand, you'll see the Sanko part, right, sticking out of the bottom, right? That's the sword, right? So you get this base. And so you see the three prongs down here. And then above his hand, you'll see I'm trying to hold this so it's right at my camera, right? You'll see these two outer pieces coming in. Now again, this is Tibetan. The one I'm holding in my hand is Tibetan. The difference between the Tibetan or Indian versions and the Japanese versions are in how they come together. Okay. So the Tibetan slash Indian versions always touch. The Japanese versions do not. So if you're ever wondering what you have, that's a, that's a quick, uh, quick fix. Unless somebody like, you know, pulled out their metallurgy skills or whatever and decide they're going to make one by hand. Like people try to like cut, metal out of uh you know swords out of sheet metal and stuff and make up their own swords and whatnot but anyway so but what what the difference is is that the center spire right is what grows up into that sword so anyway so that's about external things right that's about dealing with with things out there it's the coiled rope in the left hand right that matters in this instance because it's for dealing with internal things so the sword is for illusions, right? Brought up my amateur magician kind of uh, interest earlier, right? So illusions, right? Those things in front of you that convince you that things are one way when really there's something else. And you have to sort through that to try to figure it out, right? But the rope, the, the one, one of the classical traditional ways of describing that is that it is used to bind up and control or cast aside internal demons. This is not like a demonology kind of thing, like you're possessed. Um, although I guess you could act like you are, but it's not, it's not something else, right? It's an aspect of yourself. that's screwed up. Um, this is, this is what meditation does right so um but the sword handles illusion the rope or sometimes it's called a lasso 
handles delusions. Okay, delusions are self-imposed, right? Self-built, very often, um, illusions. Okay, so someone could fall for an illusion, but if they fall for their own, then right, it's a delusion. They're deluded. Okay. Um, and we all are to some extent. So this is what you work through. Um, but anyway, what we're trying to do is handle this stuff. But again, what ends up happening, like, like I mentioned, the, if I, if one of these comments on one of my videos, right, um, triggers some anger or whatever, right. Um, what ends up happening with most people is, for, for most of us, we usually apply the wrong antidote to that particular pain or sense of anxiety or whatever. And when we do that, what ends up happening is it's like dropping gasoline or extra fuel on the fire. So if you ever try to try to fix something, try to explain things, try to handle something, Right. You're going to tell them where the bear defecates in them, whatever it is. Right. And it turns into a full blown fight or a back and forth battle or, you know, I'll pay your one way ticket to come to this particular area so I can kick your ass. And we're going to have a fight and broadcast it on YouTube or Facebook or whatever so that everybody else that doesn't have a fucking life um, can watch it and, and get their rocks off on uh, two top people. And they're going to pick side. just that kind of bullshit. Right. I don't have time for that. Okay. Well, how do you know about it if you don't have time? Uh, duh. Right. I bump into it. I look at it and I go, oh, you two are professionals. Way to go. Right. And I keep on with my life. Right. My picking sides. Yeah, kind of. Right. Universal truth. Right. Um, I'm picking the side of my own training and my students. Right. Over two jack wagons who are acting like eight year olds or three year olds. Okay. Um, but anyway, we'll talk about them a little bit more, right? But people talk about this idea of fearlessness, right? Which is something that's necessary for attaining goals and, and dreams and things like that, right? We have to be willing to take that first step, right? Some of you might have seen a, a meme that I shared a couple of days ago, uh, maybe a week ago on Facebook. That simply said, like your your first workout is going to suck or it's going to be bad or whatever, right? Your first um, uh, exam is going to be bad. Your first uh, yoga session is going to be bad. Your first, whatever, right? But at the very bottom, it said, but you're not going to get to your hundredth if you're not willing to take the first step through that. Right? One of my mentors always likes to say, look, it's going to suck, okay? It's the first time, the first 10 times, the first 100 times, probably not going to work out or it's not going to work out to the extent that you want it to work out. Ego needs this to happen the first time or it's not going to put the effort into it, Okay, which is why people quit so so often and so quickly. Um, but one of the things we have to do is embrace the suck. Okay, We have to be willing to be wrong. We have to be willing to feel that challenge that pain that suffering that whatever and this is not about being masochistic or anything like that right it's those things point 
to where we're wrong. They point to uh, where we're missing skill sets, we're missing knowledge, we're missing whatever it is we need to move to that next level or to produce the results that deluded ego thinks it can already do, right? And then it tries it out and it goes, ooh, shit. Okay? One of the jokes I have in the dojo when, when people are struggling, especially the kids or the teenagers or whatever, and I look over and I go, yeah, I know. It's much easier to push a couple of buttons and get the guy on the TV to do it than it is to make it happen in here. Okay? But who's going to defend you when something bad happens? You're going to have your trusty controller and the guy's going to jump off the computer screen and, oh, that'd be cool since that. Well, here we go. Just following that, that, you know, that rabbit hole or whatever, right? I'll start calling you Alice and we'll see how that works. Right? They don't get that either because nobody freaking reads the classics anymore. If they did, they would have encountered something called um, the Emperor's New Clothes, right? And they'd stop being so goddamn deluded just because everybody else uh, is either deluded or they're afraid that everybody else is going to yell at them because they won't go along with everybody else's uh, Kool-Aid drinking ways. Right? So, again, talking about manipulation. Anyway, so... We're talking about pain, and I, I do want to jump into um, something from the upcoming course. We actually covered it a little bit in the previous course, um, but this is a huge linchpin. This is a huge, like, you understand what linchpin is, right? If somebody pulls it, like, shit falls apart kind of thing. And it's not about a logic falling apart. It's This is a crucial piece of understanding, right, that if we don't get it, um, <laughs> you're going to get it, right? And I mean, like, life's going to punch you in the face, right? Um, and no amount of blaming anybody else or whatever is going to make that go away, right? So, but before we do that, again, I, I have had to remind myself here quickly that I'm my own producer. So I'm going to do this very, very quickly so that we don't have anybody uh, usurping or uh, jumping all over the chat or whatever, because we've had that in the past and things have popped up on the screen. And that makes me want to, uh, oh, I forgot to bring that up on the screen. So there we go. Um, and that makes me want to jump through a screen and grab somebody by the testicles and shove it down their throat and make them more flexible than they may have come to the thing with. Okay. Um, I, I do have a couple of things that definitely trigger ill will and anger and whatnot. Um, the biggest one of all of them, for those of you who don't know me, is disrespect. Okay? Self-serving, manipulative abuse based on the lack of concern for anyone but the person trying to get the benefit. There's no attempt at win-win. There's no compassion. There's no anything. There's nothing but childish three-year-old self-serving aggression. And that could look like passive aggression as well, but aggression is aggression. Right? Um, there's one thing we're going to be doing. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to do it for this one, but in an upcoming program, as we move closer and closer toward the Mikyo, everybody wants to do and the Mikio that a lot of people are going to be disappointed about when I open the door for that program and they have to pass a quiz on the stuff that I've done in the past, this previous program and the one we're about to do, and they can't pass that quiz. And I tell them they can't 
do the, the program and then I'll be all kinds of fucked up and bad person and whatnot because um, ego wants to just just like they, they do in martial arts. Right. They want to jump over all the necessary training, learning and understanding so that they can act and move and pretend to be the grandmaster when they don't want to do any of the stuff that the grandmaster did to get to that level. Right. Just ego wants to take that shortcut. Cause you know, as I, the, the, the guys that went through my Sanjay Chichigobo program, right. Our biggest joke for the longest time was, this is too much fucking hard work. Right. But that's, <laughs> that's the point. Whether we're talking about the martial side or the meditative side or the mind science side, right. This is not, this is not an easy path to travel, right? This is not child's play. And I don't want to hear, I'm going to say this up front. Please don't take this the wrong way. I don't want to hear the dumbass cliches. Well, you know what I'm saying. You know what they say. If it were easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But saying that is ego's attempt to act like it already knows part of that. And so how much is the person actually doing? It's one of the things I say in one of my other classes at the dojo is if you want to see where somebody's level of that's too much fucking hard work is, look at where they've stopped or look at the level of, of progress that they've hung out at for the last six months two years, six years, 10 years, whatever. Okay. Cause that level of stopping is one step short of that's too much fucking hard work. Okay. Or that's going to require too much change or it's going to, right. It's uncomfortable. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. But don't blow smoke up my ass to tell me that, well, you know, I, I pretty much, I, I think I understand, you know, all this stuff. So, you know, does really shit. That'd be hard enough to say if you were doing one style of martial art. Okay, we got nine schools that Hatsumi Sensei had soke ship of, not counting the other hundred or so um, systems that were integrated into uh, the Bujinkan that we typically don't talk about. Right, the Manriki school, the Musashi school, Ito Ryu, all these. Okay, but you know, as long as we can quote those those nine. We must know something. Anyway, I know sometimes I can be a dick, but anyway, here we are. Right. So anyway, let me let me just check in, see who's there, see what kind of comments popped up or whatever before we jump into uh, three types of pain that are outlined um, at the very beginning of these core lessons or core core pieces that must be rediscovered. Right. I know it seems like they're being taught. But the point isn't to memorize the lesson, right? The point is to understand the lesson. And I don't mean understand it like, well, I understood what you were saying, and I get it, and I look around and I see it. No, I mean understanding it from the level of you tried to prove it wrong. Ego doesn't want to do that, right? Well, I chose this martial art. I chose this meditative practice or whatever. So, like, it's, it's right. Well, how do you know? Well, it's right. I mean, I, everything I look at tells me that it's right. Really? 
You haven't gone looking for the things that prove it wrong. Okay. Because that's what ego does. When it wants to do something, it only looks at the stuff that proves that rationalization. Remember what Einstein said? Most people rationalize, but they're not very rational. Okay. Because if they were rational, they would apply the scientific process to it. Okay. I'm looking at it from one perspective, the Omolte, to see how it works. Okay. But the Oda side of it is when doesn't it work? What contradicts it? Are there any conditions under which it will not work? Okay. How can I break it? Okay. Under what conditions will it break? Those kind of things, right? The ego doesn't do that. Okay. Ego rationalizes decisions that involve, like, I want to do this thing. That great. This is the greatest thing that since Swiss cheese had holes, right? Well, actually, all cheese has holes, by the way. But anyway, um, and then if I don't want to do something or if I went out of something, then all my rationalization is going to go about why this sucks, why this is a bad thing, why it's a good decision for me to walk away from it, whatever, right? It's not rational. It's a rationalization, okay? We're trying to justify a feeling. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking about that for a moment because this is this lesson's coming in three phases. So anyway, let me – where do I need to be? Chat maybe? Hey, holy crap, look at everybody. Let's see. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, Dave. Good evening. Happy Monday. Thank you very much. Um, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, <laughs> a ride, right? I, I, I changed my, um, I changed my approach to getting things done and, um, uh, let's see. Yeah. Since, uh, early last week, James knows what I'm talking about. So when he sees all this stuff, um, so this is, this is what my, my, uh, daily, uh, to do thing looks like now only this session right here are my targets for accomplishment for the day this is a set of goals this is a set of goals these are long long-term goals and these are mid uh short to midterm goals um and then so things get checked off and then i have three hour time windows and my game that i play with myself is how much can i get done within that period of time right with the goal being all of it right if i get all of it done then i didn't put enough on here okay so, um, but again, that's one of the reasons why, uh, the Monday or the foundations group missed a Monday class on me, um, because I didn't put it on my list because I didn't have my Monday morning meeting with James and, uh, there's usually somebody else that's, that's in as well. And, uh, I was flying solo. So anyway, but that's my day. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's all good. So it is a happy Monday, but they're also uh, challenging, right? Because I have shit to do, and I'm 60, which means I don't have a lot of time to get it done. Okay, and I don't mean I don't have a lot of time to get it done because I'm going to retire at 62 or 65 or whatever. I don't believe in retirement any more than the guy who was asked about retirement age at Valley Forge when uh, George Washington, then a general brought this Prussian uh, general, von Steubing, to come and train the troops at Valley Forge over the winter when everybody's freezing their asses off, right? And uh, somebody said, at what age can we retire from the military? And as a joke, he said, 65. 
and it stuck. Okay, it's amazing how many things stick, right? Um, it stuck, and it was a joke because the average lifespan of a human being during that time was 48, 49 years old. That doesn't mean that people didn't live older, but life was freaking rough. Okay, I love it when I see people watching like Game of Thrones or, uh, you know, uh, who knows some fantasy thing about going back to medieval England or you know whatever, right? And they think about how cool that would be. Really. You know, kind of disease and pestilence and shit like that was going on back then. Okay. I'm sure you can get over your phone addiction within 30 days. They've proven that to be true. But um, how many things do you do that you take for granted that would get you burned at the stake as witchcraft? Okay. So you, know, you, you are you good with smelling like piss and shit all the time, right? Are you good with not having flushable toilets and all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, there's a reason that sayings like not having a pot to piss in came about, right? That's, there was no running water and crap like that. <laughs> crap like that. Anyway, so um, uh, are you, are you uh, okay with having lice your entire life? Are you okay with not having uh, deodorant or cologne that was more than like flower petals scenting water? I mean, why do you think the wealthy wore so many layers of clothing all the time? Okay. Kept themselves from being offensive. Right. Tried to keep the funk. <laughs> anyway. All right. So uh, let's see. Who have Dave. Uh, Julia, thank you for sharing. Julia shares all my stuff, and I don't know what I did to deserve that, but thanks. I appreciate it. I know a lot of you do, but anyway, uh, let's see. Florida Budo. Hey, Victor. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, Jeffrey, good evening. Hey, again, I apologize for the, for the foobar today with, um, messing me up out of a class, but we'll get y'all caught up. Dave says, I would love a podcast on Fudomyo. Really? Hmm. I have to think about how I would approach that to not cross the line and uh, make it a teaching that is not is okay from the perspective of not being like a teacher to student kind of thing, right? Uh, that's how Miguel works. Um, let's see, Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. Have I missed you the last couple of classes or the last couple of uh, episodes? Uh, Victor's still here. Phil, good evening. I would also like to see a podcast more in depth of Fulo Mio. Well, see, Phil, you're a personal student, so I can tell you no. No. <laughs> Just anyway, right? Uh, let's see. I vaguely remember an episode that you discussed it more. Well, yeah. Um, I can. It's It'll typically be uh, reduced to, I, I guess we could cover a bunch of the, the uh, things, right? There just wouldn't be a whole lot in the way of like, Mantra and mudra and those kind of things, but we can discuss. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I think I would rather do that not as an open kuden and force this stuff on people that you know. Maybe not, right? I mean, I'm I'm surprised that as many people stick around for the uh, kicks to the balls and midsection and whatever, uh, based on a lot of this stuff that just is doing nothing but exposing ego. Um, and it's, it's game playing, 
right? Um, but there's plenty to do, right? And then there's plenty of opportunities for uh, programs and whatnot, okay? Uh, and, that, and see, there's another one of those pains. There's another one of those suffering kind of things, right? Um, I get it. We all have limited time, effort, money, those kind of things, right? Um, but part of the challenge that a teacher imposes is there to weed out the idly curious. Okay. No, 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 I'm really going to do something with it. Yeah. Regurgitating or memorizing it so you can regurgitate it later, but not actually putting it into use. I mean, it's like, you know, here's a here's a gun. Here's a box of ammo, you know. Use it, don't use it, whatever, okay? Because if you don't use the stuff properly, or if you just play around with it, um, you can do more harm than good. It's kind of like, uh, and I used to do this, right? And I learned that <laughs> how, what it could be doing to me as far as desensitizing me to the actual uh, things. Uh, way back in the day when I learned uh, well, there are these pictures, right, within one of Stephen Hayes' books, and the, they're they're in a couple of other places, of the nine Kuji hand positions. I don't even, like, connect these things anymore um, unless I'm actually doing them. I used to do them as a finger-stretching exercise, and I thought it was cool. See, I can make these things and whatever, right? Um, but what ends up happening if you do that is that now that becomes another one of your comfortable everyday things, and it doesn't feel weird, special, or whatever. And so you start to desensitize yourself to the actual effect that it's supposed to create. And it's kind of like when you're doing this meditation thing, right? When you put your hands in your lap this way. For those of you watching uh, uh, video, you can see this, right? Where the hand, you know, right hand lays the left hand and the thumbs touch together. And uh, if you're watching uh, or if you're listening right to the audio only, that's what I did. Just have open hand, left hand, right hand drops into it. Thumbs come together. You see this in meditative poses, right? People are sitting in a chair or sitting on the floor, lotus position, whatever. The hands are just dropped there, right? So um, people often see these things as like this magical, right? Oh, see, that's an official. No, no, no. What you're doing is you're creating a point of reference, so that if your mind wanders, what you can do is just kind of bring, just kind of move your thumbs a little bit so that more pressure happens at that point of contact. And so what it ends up doing is it creates this stronger feeling, right, the sensation. So since you can't bring your mind back to the breath, or you can't bring your mind back to whatever the object of meditation is, what you do is you can shift it to this. And so now, because, and the harder you press, the more your mind can't ignore it, right? So you create this moment. It's kind of like somebody firing off a firecracker or whatever, right? No matter what you were doing, bang, and suddenly you're looking, trying to figure it out and find it, right? And your mind is now in searching mode where Finding that thing, discovering that thing, is the all-consuming uh, point, right, of what I'm doing, right? That's that same thing. But it's not magical beyond that, and you can do lots of other things. In Mikio, we, we make a different hand in other position, whatever, right? But 
once you understand that that's what you're doing, then, you know, it, the, the magic is understanding how your mind works and how you can distract your mind, how you can. Okay. Cause and again, I'm, I'm going to go back to this. We were talking about the anxiety. We we're talking about the fear and all that, but see in Mikyo, the fear is the point, right? The suffering or the discontent or the pain is the point. It's the starting point, right? It's not something to be avoided or gotten rid of. It's the point. And if it's the point, like if that's the crux of the work we're doing, I need to ferret this thing out. I need to figure out what the programming or the belief or the fear or whatever is that underlies this habit, this tendency, this feeling or whatever, then I need to do whatever I need to do to produce that, to make it flare up. Because I can't figure out the problem and what lies beneath it unless I'm watching it, unless I can follow it backwards, right? This is not an exercise in theory, right? Any more than any more than self-defense based martial arts is based on theory. Well, I, you know, I would assume that like when the guy grabs you, he's going to do really, you're going to assume seriously. Okay. I'd rather on a hypothesis, right? Which is an educated guess, but it's a guess nonetheless, which is why we always want to be training um, and Hatsumi Sensei has said this. Most teachers have said this. If you cannot train with the person, not just with the knowledge, but also the real world experience at, at applying that knowledge, then you don't ever want to go more than one person from them. Right. In doing that. And sometimes you don't have a choice. Right. You go two or three or whatever. But here's the risk, and the military knows this, right? The risk is the farther you go from the source, the person who's actually been in the bubble, not getting stabbed, not getting shot, not getting choked, whatever, the farther you come from that, the greater the chance that theory and belief systems will overwhelm the training or the study, right? That's why in the military, field manuals and operations manuals are rewritten after every battle. Okay? They're modified, adjusted, or completely rewritten after every battle because, and the people that rewrite them are veterans of those battles, not military historians. Military historians write books on military history, right? On the data and information and photographs and all that we have about certain battles or campaigns or generals or whatever, right? But you want the survivors of those things to update things because they saw the enemy's tactics firsthand. They were in on the use of the tactics that were the antidotes to those things firsthand. Okay? There's no theory that's going to creep in because you're talking to somebody who's been there. Right? And I'm not saying that somebody can't teach or whatever that's never been or that's 15th in line or whatever, right? But what I am saying is they should probably stick to teaching the 
forms and the core ideas and whatnot and, you know, direct somebody to, uh, to a teacher or whatever when it comes to uh, education or the, the knowledge or whatever. Or, better yet, right, put ego in its place, swallow hard, and go train with somebody that has been there. Right? A lot of you know that uh, a bunch of years ago, I was in a, a class in Japan. Hasumi Sensei was talking about this this very thing. And he said, who in the room has actual real-world experience? And the guy that was standing next to him, he said, he's been a bouncer for like the last 20 years. And he's been in some pretty bad situations, like biker bars and stuff like that, right? Bad situations, right? Um, who else? Right? A couple of us raised our hands. I mean, one person that was kind of bullshit, right? But because um, we all had to tell a story, right? And um, when I got finished telling mine, he said, I want you to write that up. I want you to, can you, I want you to put that out. So I've got an article floating around the internet somewhere about this thing, but where I described the actual incident. And while I was describing the incident in class, physiological responses were starting to happen. My hands started sweating, legs started sweating, a little bit of shaking occurring. Not like, you know, nervousness or anything like that, but the muscles were, that, that memory was in that particular uh, description or the, the particular incident that I was describing because I just p- I picked one. Let's pull this one out. Right. And um, what was surprising to me, and I even said it during class was, I didn't think this would happen. Right. But my palms are sweating. Legs are heating up. Right. Just a little bit of, you know, budo nerves starting to kick in. And, um, you know, anyway, so um you, put ego in check and you go train with somebody so that you're not operating based on theory. Okay. Um, Cause I don't know about you, but from a position as a teacher, I'd feel like shit if I taught somebody something. Now, I mean, if they, if they don't apply it properly or, you know, they screwed around in, in training and then went out with some diluted sense that they're, you know, an ass kicking ninja, superhero or whatever and then they get their asses handed to them that's universal justice but another form of universal universal justice is i teach from the perspective of stroking my own ego and then one of my people try to use what i taught against a really bad person and the stuff doesn't really work okay because i bullshitted them bullshitted myself whatever okay from an ethical and moral standpoint i would i would feel like shit okay um so I take it very, very seriously. But again, I, I tell people this all the time before you think that I'm super altruistic and it's all about the student. Right? Ego is still strong in this one. I mean, me. And one of the things that I have to think in the back of my mind is one, I'm not getting younger. Two, I've had enough incidents in my life to know that one little turn of events and I can be flat on my back and not able to protect my family. Like a couple of Christmases ago, where I was in a rehab hospital because I slipped on ice, came down on the points of a couple of uh, concrete steps. Break falls work. So I saved most of my spine, and I saved my skull from cracking sidewalk and splitting open and not being here to have this conversation. But um, I broke a piece of transverse process off of a lower vertebrae. 
and spent a couple of weeks in uh, uh, intense rehab, right? Um, who's protecting my family then? So when I teach, part of what's in my head is these these guys or these girls may have to protect my family when I can't. And if what I'm teaching them is bullshit, if what I'm teaching them is from the perspective of stroking my ego, right? Um, and something happens to my family because these people couldn't, right? Whatever I gave them was bullshit. I had to live with that for the rest of my life. So this is what I mean by keeping things in check, right? And this is also what I mean by fears motivating. Because fear can be a motivator, but it also can be an, an immobilizer. Okay? And when it comes to, when I talk about the dream-killing fears, they're immobilizers. Okay? But if we understand how to apply them, then they become motivators. Right. Anyway, so who else do I have? Let's say I see people on YouTube. I see people on Facebook. Anybody else pop in there? All right. Uh, I don't see anything. Right. So, um, hey, Phil, you know, that little joke that I threw at you, you know, when you come in for a uh, fall camp, you can kick my ass for it. So anyway, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm anyway, Phil's bigger than me. He was brave enough to walk in and flip his shirt up and show his bare belly and all that because he had to show me this ninja shirt. So, uh, the boy's got some cojones. Anyway, so, all right. So, let me, let me get rid of this little chat thing so it's not up on the screen. All right. So, let's jump in this, right? And take a look at three types of fear. Three root. Um, th- these are not the finite kind of things because uh, in Mikio, there are these long lists. Just in case you're not sure what we're talking about. Long list, right? We're going to talk about three classifications of fear, I guess, or three classifications of pain, pain, okay? Because, again, people are afraid of, I, I think the number one fear is the fear of being afraid, right? But there's also this fear of pain, discomfort, and there should be, right? So the first noble truth uh, in the foundational uh, lessons, we're going to cover this during this upcoming course uh, and really dive into this, even more so than we did for those of you who are in the Sanji Shiji Dobon program. Um, there's three root uh, types of pain, right? And two, we can't really do anything about, right? The one is kind of where we'll springboard off of. But again, I, I don't want to like spend hours on this, right? That's why we do special programs. So anyway, uh, the three types are one, um, physical. When I say physical pain, I mean like life pain, right? Um, in the, in the, the texts, in the sutras and the lessons and the teachings, it's called the suffering of suffering. And what that is, is, physio psycho emotional pain right it's the pain that comes about from being a human being okay so uh, we've got you know sickness old age death right they have their 
her own little things, right? It's the pain and suffering that comes with being a human being, right? You bump into, we've, we've got a neuro network, right? We've got this network of nerves. You bump into the world in a certain way and it freaking hurts, right? Um, that in and of itself stops a lot of people from training in the martial arts, right? Because like I said, like I tell the teenagers all the time, it's a lot easier to push those buttons on that little plastic controller and get the guy on the TV to, um, to do the work than it is to do what is necessary or to endure what's necessary in the training. Okay. What's pointed to with this is the Miwo Shinobu, right? One of the three aspects of being a ninja, right? Which is a body capable of enduring um, whatever needs to be endured, right? Takamasa Sensei used to, uh, when, when he first met Hatsumi Sensei, um, for those of you within Bujinkan needed to, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, so Hatsumi Sensei tells about his first meeting or one of his first meetings with Takamasa Sensei because he had to like literally drive halfway across or take a train halfway across Japan to train with his teacher every week, every week, right? Friday night or Thursday or whatever, he would close his chiropractic shop, hop a train, then have bullet trains back then sleep on the train all night long to get to where Tukmasa Sensei lived, train for a day or two, like sun up to sundown. If they weren't doing physical stuff, they were doing intellectual knowledge stuff, whatever, right? Um, and then he'd hop on a train Sunday afternoon, early evening, whatever, sleep on the train on the way back, and then open up his uh, clinic the next morning, you know, clean up change clothes, whatever, and work the week, right? Um, <clears throat> he did that for twelve years, twenty years, I don't know. But anyway. So and that was consistent, right? But anyway, um the physical pain again is, you know, I've mentioned this kind of stuff in the past, right? And this comes right out of the teachings, right? There's there's gotta be a better way for a human being to come into the world than to be squeezed through what I call the cookie tube of life, right? Or, right, well, what about C-section, Sensei? Okay, or, right, it's not that much easier on the baby. I mean, I get it. Their shoulders aren't being moved and the skull plates aren't being shifted and whatnot as they're being, you know, pushed through the birth canal. But now mom's being cut open. And if you've ever watched a C-section, right, they're a pleasant little thing, right? Small incision, but then we're going to open our way up because we got to get this baby out, right? So um, there's got to be a better way, but guess what? No amount of Kool-Aid drinking is going to change that, okay? Um, and even so, whether it's natural birth or, or uh, uh, C-section, right? This child's been in amniotic fluid for seven, eight, nine months, depending on whether they were premature or not, right? And now this air hits fresh tissue that has not been desensitized and toughened up. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but the fact that your lungs don't burn every time you breathe speaks to the conditioning that's gone on on the inner lining from way back, 
If you've ever been ill and had like a major bronchitis or whatever, where the coughing and the hacking and the gagging, right? Uh, uh, Pneumonia, anything like that, right? Where it literally strips the mucus and whatnot from your, from the lining of your lungs to where taking a breath now makes you cough and hack like you're a freaking smoker, right? On your 21st cigarette in the first three hours you've been awake today. You know, it just, it's horrendous, right? Um, uh, if, uh, if you're ever in the military and if you're ever stationed overseas, especially in Southeast Asia, and, uh, you ever had to go through some of those little, um, medical exams to make sure that you weren't bringing anything home that the U.S. population would not like for you to bring home, especially the guys. And they take that Q-tip that's on a wire and place it in some place that's not designed for things to, it's supposed to be an Audi, not an any, right? And I don't mean your butt, right? And they do a little twist on it and pull it out so they can check the cells to make sure, again, you're not taking shit home that nobody wants, right? That That's freaking uncomfortable enough, okay? So if you've ever been in that condition, and then you go and pee for the first time, and you swear to God that they left the head of that Q-tip in you, okay? Then now imagine that broadened out to the size of a baby's hand times two, because that's the size of the lungs, and that first breath. And tell me you now don't understand why that baby screams. Okay? Or if it doesn't, because it's not breathing at first, and the doctor smacks it on its ass or on its back to shock it to get it to breathe, to take it to make it gasp, right? So now to get the lungs to burn, we're gonna smack skin that hasn't bumped into the world. Right? Well shit, coming into the world. Right? This this should this should make anybody think that all this shit's pessimistic and nihilistic. Yeah, but it's not. Okay? It's not about pessimism. It's not about optimism. It's not about nihilism, right? You know the nihilist, right? Let's just burn it all down. Fuck it. What's the point? Right? Well, you're pleasant. Please stand over there and don't look in my direction. Right? It's about being realistic. And I don't mean realistic. <laughs> You know, the pessimist to go, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. Yeah, no, you're a dick. Okay, so, um, but it's about understanding how things work and not playing the denial game. Okay, so one type of pain is the fact that, like, you know, we suffer when we bump into the world or, um, we, uh, well, we could get ill. We, uh, you know, part of ego, right? Um, we think we know something and we're operating by this, but it keeps backfiring on us. Or then we learn something new and it like flies in the face of that, right? You ever take a martial art, right? And then you go study with somebody else or some, you know, whatever, right? And this person's actually been in fights and he exposes a couple of holes, in what you were taught was right or what you came to believe was right, right? You know, that kind of anguish, that kind of wanting to, well, that's, there's a different type of pain that comes out of that too, because there's, once we start cross, crossing into the mental, emotional stuff, there's this other thing, 
This one tends to be negative, right? The next one is always positive and pleasurable and that kind of thing. And that's why it sucks when it happens, right? Um, but with this one, right, the, the, the idea behind this is that um, nothing hurts worse than pain, physical pain, right? Um, the human body, as tough and as resilient as it is, it's still also fragile, right? And it shit hurts, right? It can be broken. It can be torn. It can be cut. And those kind of things cause pain, right? Um you end up starting to get ill or you get an allergy or whatever. And then you end up these fucking headaches and whatever. Right. And it hurts. Right. Pressure changing your changes in your sinuses or your inner ear or shit hurts. Right. Um, and that's the point of this first type. OK. The second type is a mental, emotional. Pain or type of suffering, but. This is this is the one that's, that confuses most people because it doesn't feel like pain and suffering for the most part. OK, and so this is known as the suffering of change. So. This is where mentally and emotionally we develop habit patterns. And. We establish these things because. We're seeking a level of comfort, right? We're trying to remember that the underlying pain and anxiety and all that kind of shit to be found out and whatnot, right? So we're doing anything that we can to not let those kind of things happen. So we gravitate to hanging out with the same kind of people because nobody's going to expose my bullshit because, well, we're all hiding behind the same bullshit. We all believe the same thing. We all have the same habit patterns. We all, you know, oh, we're late again. We can't talk, man, because you were late like three times last. Well, I know, man. I was just kind of joking. Right. So you got this kind of thing that goes on. Right. We again, birds of a feather. Right. So in, in the dojo, we call it dojo syndrome. Right. Where as long as everybody buys into the same story, then no holes get exposed. Right. Or no sensitive areas get get exposed. Right. Um, but what ends up happening here is. We resist change. Because change is uncomfortable. Right. We resist changing our mind about something. We resist taking up a new thing or whatever, because it requires more than just taking up this thing. Right. There's way more people interested in taking martial arts than people that actually do it for more than a couple of classes. The biggest drop off for adults in martial arts is within the first hundred days. Okay. We're talking give or take about three months, three months and a couple of days. Okay. Um, now, for a lot of people, especially in the self-defense realm, most of them drop out because they didn't see real world answers to real world self-defense problems that they're concerned about within that time period. And so. The decision that's made is this isn't going to give me what I need. Right. So they go looking for something else. Right. Meanwhile, the teacher thinks what? Uh, Fucker. Another another person that can't commit to anything long term. Um, Okay. Right. Perhaps if I promoted that I was just teaching a classical martial art and we're looking at this from a, um, you know, historical perspective, whatever, um, right? 
because that's why we're going to punch this way. That's why we're going to move this way, whatever. Um, okay. But that's also why people going through my foundations course are, are foundations or module one in our curriculum. It's on the Q levels, right? Actually, this is actually pre Q levels within the Bujinkan. Um, it's all the, all the techniques, all the approaches, all the strategies, tactics and whatnot are there to handle the 90, the, the assaults that account for 95 to 98 percent of the assaults that occur, at least in the U.S., but from my information, I have U.S., Canada, U.K., whatever, right? It's the most common types of attacks, right, statistically speaking. But it's also the things that are easily handled by what, by what we consider to be basics, but not necessarily um, rock-solid classical form, okay? Because the classical forms, base level techniques are based on defending against ski, front stomp kicks, those kind of things. Except in the West, you got jabs, right crosses, uppercuts, uh, body grabs, those kind of things. And they're not done like they were done in 13th or 15th century Japan. So, right, want to make sure that students are getting what they need most of the time and then the rest of it now is okay now let's look at let's start looking at certain types of attacker types certain types of attacker logic right the antidote to that based on this part of our training and now we're going to get specific because the more skill the attacker has the more skill you better have kind of thing right um so anyway that being what it is right so again but this this type of Pain and suffering occurs the moment that the, a hole gets poked in the logic or whatever, right? Um, there's a, uh, a body of knowledge, and we're going to do a program on this uh, down the line, uh, I don't know, in the next three to six months. Um, it's called the Sadhana of the 13 Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, which is typically done exoterically, right, conventionally in Japan as a uh, a ritual for either preparing for death or for the family members that have passed over and all that kind of stuff. But esoterically, um, it's actually the path, right? And the first stage of the path, there's 13, 13 characters on this mandala, and this mandala actually predates the Taizokai mandala. Okay, so the model that has the character in the middle with the eight around it, right? So there's nine, okay? That one predates the one with five, okay, that are kind of laid out like a Roman cross. Okay, well, this one with 13 predates um, the nine, and there's 13, and it's a path, right? Um, Sadhana just means song, and it's just a way of, uh, there's there's this ritual meditation, right? Um, but the way it's done esoterically is each one of these gets worked through to be understood and there's practice methods and all that kind of stuff, right? Internal and external work and whatnot. So, but the very first character that's on there is Fudomyo. And the context of the Sadhana from the Mikyo standpoint, from the esoteric standpoint is uh, Fudo is neither Buddha or Bodhisattva. Okay? Buddha in uh, Mikyo between exoteric and esoteric practices the references are different, right? A Buddha is this enlightened being, 
whatever, right? So depending on where we're talking, right, which vehicle we're talking, it's either a person who has attained enlightenment, who is now teaching, that kind of thing, or it's a universal aspect of, right, and then these other things are going on. In Mikyo, Buddha, a, a Buddha on a mandala is a state of mind. It's a mental state that has been fully realized. It's been honed, right? You can use it. It's a fully functioning faculty. Look at that. I made three F words go together and didn't mean it or didn't plan it. Um, and then Bodhisattva, again, in the earliest stages of Buddhism, there is there are no Bodhisattva. It's a second turning of the wheel kind of thing. It's a Mahayana where the Bodhisattva came about. And these are people that have renounced their, 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 they took a vow to not attain enlightenment until they helped all other beings attain to enlightenment. Mikio looks at it and goes, yeah, but it, ironically, you ended up becoming enlightened to a greater degree because you helped everybody else. What you did was you did it selflessly, right? As opposed to doing it for yourself, right? But in Mikio, Bodhisattva are the activities carried out by these faculties of mind, right? So, again, that's why I'm requiring anybody that gets into that to, to go through, like, this next program that we're doing. Because if you don't understand this stuff, right, the rest of it's going to look like it's freaking woo-woo magic uh, kind of stuff. And then if ego grabs a hold of that and plays its bullshit work there's no there's no coming back from that because what you're going to end up cre- creating is super ego instead of an ego that's that's brought under control and uh serves you as opposed to you serving it right uh, it's very different so anyway right so this mental emotional this this suffering of change it is most people, you know, who think their life is, is pretty decent, man. Life's good, man. You know, um, it is. And they've established a level of comfort, physical, mental, emotional, all that kind of stuff. They have, they have, uh, mental habits. They have, they have habitual patterns that work day to day in the environment they've chosen to set up, set themselves up in. And within the environment that they've consciously or unconsciously created for themselves. Okay. Um, in one of the old sutras, it's called the magic show of the mind, where ego believes itself to be in charge because of the creation it's made. Right. Look at what I've done. And now, of course, life is perfect for me. Okay. And then... Something, someone, some incident, experience, whatever, pops in, illness, old age, whatever. These things start to happen and holes start getting poked in the logic. And then that's when the suffering starts to occur. Okay. Grandma dies. And so our belief or our deep seated desire for those that we love ourselves, right, to never die. It happens or it starts to manifest. Right? And then there's this harder attempt at swimming upstream with a weaker body, mind, spirit, whatever. Okay? So anyway, 
And then the third type of pain um, is uh, something we call karmic pain. Uh, it's the suffering of uh, conditioning or the suffering of existence, right? And it's not the same as the, the uh, born as a human being, but it's related, but it's not the same, okay? This type of suffering has to do with the fact that um, and it's related to the old age and death kind of thing as far as humans go, but it's everything, right? If you can look around and see that everything is in a state of change and decay. So this is this recognition of karma, cause and effect, right? Metal rusts. Plastic will eventually break down and become brittle, right? Uh, light bulbs burn out, right? Because the whatever is making the filament there, right? You know, for a certain amount of time, it, it wears out and breaks down. Right. Um, we break down. Right. Plants weather and die. You can, there's nothing you can't name. Right. That will not eventually fall apart because it's conditioned. Okay? It is made up of other things. And over time. Right. Paper of my notebook over time will yellow. Right. Or it will fade. And it. Um, you know, if you've ever let a piece of paper or whatever sit at a window or uh, I, I forgot I put something uh, in the back, uh, the back, um, not the deck. What is that? The uh, the dash, right, of my car is back behind these big headrests and my, my grandson's uh, car seat and whatnot. And then clean out my car and I found this thing I'm like, oh, crap. And. Like it was just a, it was a normal piece of paper when I put it there, eight and a half by eleven printer paper and whatnot. And here it is. It's not just yellowed and starting to brown, right? Not because it's going to light on fire or whatever, but something had drastically changed within it because it's now very stiff and it's like it it it's right. It just move it moves and it feels and everything very very different um, because moisture has left it. I don't know. Some life force, right? I was, I was told one time by somebody that, you know, um, the when houses are left abandoned or buildings are left abandoned, the materials that those things are made up of go through this change at a much greater accelerated rate because there's no life going on within it. One of the reasons that homes last as long as they do, the wood, the plant, all that stuff, right, is because life is going on. People live there, right? And there's something about that. And um, quantum physics talks about that, right? Energy fields within energy fields and all that. And they're starting to prove that a lot of this spiritual woo-woo discussion about life energy and everything um, is actually true, right? But anyway, right, so the idea here is that, you know, things change. But a lot of this stuff, whether it's the human physical pain existence kind of thing or it's the karmic thing, the bottleneck is the mental emotional, right, the the suffering of change, right? Because while the first two can't do a whole lot about, okay, we spend a lot of time and a lot of money and inventors and companies spend a lot of time creating things that try to belay the physical pain, the suffering of suffering, the, 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 that 
condition, right? Being born as a human, right? Um, but really, it's focusing on the mental and emotional, right? I don't want to die. So uh, what exercise routine can I do that will stretch that out as long as possible? Um, what uh, pill can I take? What vitamins? What supplements? What? Uh, how much water? How much? Whatever, right? All in an attempt to allay a fear that's just bubbling under the surface. For some people, it's not bubbling under the surface, right? It's fucking henny penny running around, right? And if you don't believe that, look back at, at you know two years ago, whatever, right? So, and also this whole karmic pain kind of thing, right? How many varnishes, sealants, or whatever can we put on our freaking back deck to keep, to slow down the process of, you know, it breaking down, right? And you know, we cut it away from a tree. We killed a tree, life force, whatever. So now we're going to treat it with chemicals, pressure treat it, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, to keep insects out, to keep the weather from, from, uh, advancing decay, all that stuff, right? How, and again, I'm not going to name all the possible things that we could do, but there it is, right? So, but all of this stuff keeps bouncing back to this mental, emotional kind of thing, right? And I, I, I talk about this in, in so many different episodes, right? That the, that the poison to success, the poison to people actually living to their potential, to realizing their dreams and all that is comfort. Because as soon as we can establish those freaking, those, um, those habit patterns and whatnot and establish this comfort so that we are right. Life for the most part, right. Is it's, it's, it's characterized by what we would call happiness and pleasure. Okay. Suffering still happens, illness and whatnot, but it's every once in a while, right? We in the West, holy crap, right? We don't have to worry about dysentery for the most part. We don't have to worry about you know, plagues for the most part, whatever, right? Which is why I believe that when, you know, COVID came around, we shit a breadbasket, wicker, <laughs> you know? There, most people have no idea that there are like indigenous people on islands and living in certain areas in the world and whatnot where they have no idea that anything happened. Right? Yeah, well, they were isolated. Nothing touched them. And seriously? Right? Anyway, right? So where does this come in? Okay. Um, Let's go back to the again. I'm going to wrap this up here pretty pretty quickly, but let's go back to the the comments that I was talking about on my on my videos, right? Because I did get stung by some of these things, right? And then I had to think about things, and you know, I, I had to fight the urge to, you know, do what a lot of people do, and and you know, well, I just consider the source. Who the fuck are you? Or, you know, whatever, right? Um, and I, again, remember that imposter syndrome I talked about way back at the beginning of this episode. Um, I don't put things out that I, I it, that it's guesswork or that, you know, I, ha I haven't used before or it's not a variation of something that I've used before. And, you know, again, I have to recognize that, especially with YouTube shorts. I mean, that's where the flamers come out, right, where they're, they're assuming that um, they can 
uh, they know everything that's going on within this couple of second, less than a minute, right? Because the, the cap on YouTube is 60 seconds for YouTube shorts, right? But it's actually 58 point something like three or uh, 58 and a half seconds, okay? Because YouTube algorithm does something when I upload a video that if it's at 59 pushing 60, whatever that processing is, throws it over the 60 seconds. And then next thing I know, I've got a YouTube long that's 61 seconds long. And it doesn't fall into your short feed anymore. What the fuck? Anyway, so whatever, right? I just learned to figure it out and, and work with it, okay? No sense in bitching about it. This is the way the system works. Fantastic. Okay. I work within the system. Right. Um, so some stung, but I, I had to sit down and, and contemplate and work with this. Right. And again, all of this study and all this training is about applying compassion first. Okay. Because I have learned that if I apply the wrong antidote, I increase the suffering. I increase the negativity. Okay, either within myself, in which case they're not even a part of it. Did they spur it on? Well, they tossed a seed out there, but, you know, they tossed a hook with a worm and I'm the fish that that bit it. Now, the more I fight against it, the more it's going to hurt, the more it's going to extend the the battle, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, But I'm carrying the shit. I mean, some people are still carrying something that some people are carrying something right now that somebody said to them at 915 this morning. Okay. Some people are carrying shit with them that somebody said to them at 9.15 in the morning 15 years ago. That person has fucking long since forgotten. One, that they said it, probably they even forgot who you are. And here you are with them fresh in your mind. Still, you know what? And they haven't even aged. You've aged 15 years. That image you have in your head is them 15 years ago. You have no idea how ugly they got (laughs) or whatever, right? You have zero clue because there's a snapshot that we just keep running. You know what that is? That's we got a little wound 15 years ago and it's still fresh. Why is it still fresh? Because I keep touching it, keep rubbing it, keep reminding myself about it. Okay? Well, it still hurts. Well, no shit. Stop touching it. Stop digging into it. Stop reminding yourself of an incident time that in the grand scheme of totality, I'd say it doesn't mean anything, but it does because it's created part of you, part of your perceptions, part of your physiology, part of your uh, perspective on the world, on you, on people, on the connection between those three. Yeesh. Holy shit. People suck. Do you mean people suck or just certain people that you keep reminding yourself about that sucked for a snapshot in time? That's like looking at somebody that looks pissed off when you went into the store and you go, man, what a sucky life they must have. We have no idea what happened the moment before they were having that sucky moment. They could be a happy freaking person all the time and they stepped on something or somebody attacked them or they lost somebody. And instead of grieving, their grieving, grieving is coming out as anger, right? God hates me, took my daughter, took my whatever, right? 
But what we're going to do is we're going to see this snapshot in time, and we're going to carry it around like, well, they're a pissed-off asshole of a person. Wow. All right. Talk about judgment. Right? So anyway, but that's okay. We're an asshole to other people, too, because they're walking around with a snapshot in time. Right? Anyway, so... um Here's the thing with, with the comments, okay? Being stopped by those comments on my videos, right, is, is a disservice to the people I'm trying to help or the people I could help. There's been a couple of people that have posted, man, you get kudos from me. Because of all the shit you're taking from people. Yeah. I'm a ninja. See the logo in the upper left-hand corner? See? Oh, sorry. For you, it's over here. See? Right? That nin symbol? What does that mean? To persevere. To endure. No matter what. Okay? Pretty fucking hypocritical for me to be teaching or even practicing. Ninjutsu. But not living to the core premise. Because you can't have ninjutsu and you can't have a ninja without having nin. And the nin kanji means to persevere, to endure, or to apply patience so that perseverance and endurance is much easier. Okay. Interesting, huh? So when I applied compassion, then I started to feel bad for people. Not for me or not angry or whatever for me because... Here's the thing, right? Actually, you know what? I wrote this down. I, I, I don't want to half-ass this, so bring this thing up here. Where did I put it? There it is. Okay. So can you imagine what someone must feel like day-to-day? Can you imagine what must be boiling under the surface? Okay, not not how they feel when they're distracting themselves. Okay, again, when they're doing martial arts, when they're scrolling cat videos or you know whatever, right? But when they're confronted with something that punches a hole in their logic, or punches a hole in their comfort zone, or runs contrary to their belief system, right? And the first thing they do is attack. Can you imagine what that person's life must be like? Can you imagine what kind of fear, what kind of anxiety or whatever is going on on a regular basis? And that's not just for somebody who calls me on a technique that they don't understand, right? There's no fucking way in hell, man, anybody ever grabs a wrist or whatever in a fight. Really? Well, shit. As a cop, I was grabbing people all the time because I needed to put them in handcuffs. Right? So, hmm. On top of that, people were grabbing my freaking wrist because they need they were trying to keep my hand away from my sidearm or the cuffs or the uh, the nightstick or pulling me away from you know they called the cops. Here I am. They were assaulted. Right? I'm going to take their husband away, and now their hands are on me. To pull me away. Really? Nobody ever put. No. Here's the truth. Nobody has ever grabbed you 
by the wrist or by the clothing or whatever, the way that technique is showing. Nobody's ever grabbed you that way in a fight you've been in. I'm saying you generally, not you guys, because you're all enlightened, right? Nobody's ever grabbed you that way or and or, right, because your fights all duplicate themselves because you only ever get into fights that happen like they do in high school. Um, or you've never thought of grabbing somebody that way to control them. Okay. Uh, I posted a meme the other day. Um, I was thinking about this stuff because this episode was coming up and what popped into my head was don't, and actually came out of the Sanjay Shiki Goban program as well, but, um, don't, don't confuse your perception or experience of reality with actual reality. Okay. I promise you when you know, and experience actual reality, the way things are and the way things work, and you can see it with clarity, it will change. <laughs> it will change your experience and your reality. Right. So, um, but I, I got to thinking about, man, how much, how much anxiety, how much fear, how much whatever is going on, right, to maintain their comfort, their feelings of happiness and pleasure and whatnot, um, you know, because ego has created this realm, right? It's created this belief system. How tenuous must that be? And now when people post, chuckle or whatever, some of them I feel really bad for, especially the ones that just like flame out, Right? Motherfucker, I will come to you and I will kick your ass because you're full of shit. And you... Holy crap, we didn't even start off with civil discourse. You just jumped to, and you don't even know me. Man, how many people have you done that to that if you actually showed up, they would shoot you in the freaking face while you were expecting to have a fist fight? Wow. How horrible. To need to defend yourself against somebody that's just demonstrating something or that's just saying a certain thing or saying, that you know, whatever. Okay. I talked about social agenda earlier. I don't give a shit what somebody thinks or feels. Okay. I appreciate that that's your belief system. I appreciate that you're, that's your perspective. I appreciate that that's your feeling. Okay. But I don't have to, what you're trying, what, what a lot of them are trying to do is bully others so that somehow they can get them to believe the same logic, right? Because if they don't have to face anything, if they don't have to bump into truth, if they don't have to whatever, right, then see, their life is easier, right? We'll just get everybody else to buy the, the logic. It's just like a martial arts instructor who, you know, tries to convince you that Right. Something that they're able to do against a compliant uke in the dojo that they've set up much like see a, a martial arts lesson can be very much like the way ego operates all the time. Right. Ego has created this realm. Right. Shitty. Great. When I, I've been talking about happiness and pleasure. But if ego built a pessimistic world where everything is shit and human beings suck and whatever, well, congratulations. 
Okay? You have exactly what you set out for. Well, I've tried to, I've tried to look at things a different than you. No. Not possible. Not possible. Not from that mindset. Okay? Because you could take somebody from a, from a one place. How many people move from job to job to job to job? And each job is a shitty job or ends up being a shitty job. I just knew it. Somebody's going to fucking screw me over here, too. The common denominator is they jump from job to job to job to job. And if they're looking for things a certain way, if their work ethic is a certain way, if their perspective on people is a certain way, if their expectations about people are. Well, shit. Okay. You don't keep doing the same things the same way and get different results. The law of karma, right, cause and effect, is very clear about that. Right? Let's see if we could just get that to go away. My life would be great. Yeah, well, good luck with that. Okay. Highly recommend that you go moving off to a forested mountainside. Build yourself a little hut and don't. Then just cut off all your all your um, connections with other human beings. Okay, that way they're not going to disappoint you. Then the only one that's there to disappoint you is you. See how often you don't meet your own expectations. And again, not you guys. I'm saying you as a general kind of thing. Anyway, all right. So let's wrap this up very very quickly here. All right. So. We're going to go into this much, much more deeply into this program that's coming up. But there are five hindrances. And what I want to press out today, because we're going to look at them from a couple of different angles in this other program. We don't have time for this. We couldn't even do a whole kudan on them. Right. I want to look at these as not the root cause that they're very often looked at. Right. Because they do create other things. Right. But we have to recognize if we understand the law of karma that they have been created from something before it, right? And these, what I'm going to do, what I want to do is, is present them as five different ways that fear could manifest as a habit pattern that then goes on to, in this case, kill dreams. Okay. Cause it's going to, it's really difficult, just like it's difficult to see the ignorance behind the beliefs and perspectives and actions and all that um, that create the problems we have until we get to a point in this chain of events where we have a desire to get something, keep something, or get away from something. And in the process of reaching out or acting to make that happen, we can see it now because it's out in the world, right? It's in a conscious place right in our in our in our mentality while it's in a subconscious unconscious place we have no idea how it's working until it pops out right so on a grand level until the pain or suffering occurs but the more clear we can get on things the more more aware we can become the more we're willing to watch ourselves in action, the sooner we can see these things. So it's the same thing with the fear, right? You know, the, the name of this episode was defending against dream killing fears, but 
we, we don't even know the fear is happening until one of these things manifests, right? And generally the, the suffering or the discontent or the happiness or pleasure gets poked at, right? And, and gets threatened, right? To not, not be able to hold on, right? So again, there are these five hindrances and these are, these are typically where things are seen to start, but from a Miko perspective, it starts way before this, right? There's a fear generating this. So we can see this as a, as a habit pattern, um, sometimes almost an addiction. Okay. So they are, uh, sensual pleasure. I just write it off as a type of desire. Okay. Sensual pleasure. I don't necessarily mean sex or lust or anything like that. Okay. Sense pleasure. We have five senses, not counting chita or shita in Japanese, right? Um, your, your sixth sense, which is not ESP, your sixth sense, which is your, your thinking, right? Your mind itself, okay? So this is anything that we do habitually because it feels good, okay? We're addicted to it. That could be chocolate. It could be sex. It could be things we like watching, things we like doing, right? Um, you know, if you're, if you're binge watching, um, YouTube videos of martial arts lessons, could be Hatsumi Sensei's old videos, it could be mine, it could be whatever, right? And you're not getting off your ass and actually doing this stuff, huh? That's how you're wasting time. That's how you're, no, 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 I'm, I'm watching this stuff. So, um, like when I train, like I'm, I'm putting this stuff into my training. How much training could you be doing while you're, right? You only need one freaking video to get you started. Get your ass up. Do that thing. When you can do that the way the teacher's doing it, well, then maybe you can look at another one, but there's still plenty of work to do with that technique. But what does ego do? Ego does, a, does the equivalent of stamp collecting or, uh, Pokemon card collecting or whatever, right? Okay. Cause it believes that the more it knows, the more techniques it has. Well, see, that equates to skill. No, it doesn't. It equates to information. Right. Hatsumi Sensei always said you only ever need one technique. And if you work the Kyonapo process pretty soon, you will have thousands of techniques. More than you could ever have just going through the scrolls. Okay. But, well, that's fucking boring, right? Who wants to do the same technique over and over and over again? Hmm. Somebody that really wants to be a master. Somebody that understands the process and is willing to do what it takes. Okay? Not somebody who's just trying to entertain themselves. Okay? But, again, it could be chocolate. It could be sensual touch. It could be some people are addicted to um, I know somebody needs to be connected with somebody who, God, if, if bed, uh, not bed, bath and beyond, uh, bath and body, Jesus criminy, how many lotions could one person get? Right? Would you like the feel of it and stuff? And, and, you know, need to stay hydrated and holy shit, with the amount of lotion you're putting on yourself, there's one thing I've learned about you and that is that you are losing moisture at an alarming rate. But what you're actually doing is putting a whole bunch of chemicals in your bloodstream. No, no, no. You don't put it on if you're if you have a cut or whatever. There's a warning right there. No, no, no. Anything you put on your skin ends up in your bloodstream. Do you know what kind of chemicals are in that thing? Okay. If you do, great. 
then you're at least doing it from a position of awareness. Right? If you don't, or you don't care, well, I don't know that I can help with that. But some people just like what their skin feels like when those chemicals and oils are on it, and they don't like it when it's just all natural because they're now addicted to that kind of thing, right? Same thing with names and stuff, right? Um, they've always – how about the people that, right, um, don't like the boredom of the world – so the earbuds or the headphones are always on. There's always music or something entertaining or pleasurable or whatever in their ears, right? Why? I don't know. They don't like being left alone with themselves? I, I, whatever. Okay? Depends on the fear or anxiety that's at the root of it. Okay? So sense pleasures could be a whole bunch of things. Okay? I'm not going to go into the other ones nearly as deeply as this, but, but you get the idea, right? So the second one is ill will. Right. Anger, hatred. Okay, so, um, you know, people are motivated to do things because. What? I'm not going to do this thing, no matter how good it is for me, because the person over there that I hate says that I should or um, they do it. And there's no way in hell I'm going to be like them. So I'm not doing it. I don't give a shit how good it is for me. Okay, or they harmed me and. I hope somebody comes along and fucking kneecaps them. Whatever. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. What if they did what they did because, well, they didn't even know that they did it, right? They weren't paying attention and they didn't even realize they did it. Or they don't know any better. They don't know how to live, right? They weren't taught etiquette or manners or they don't think about other people, okay? You do, right? You know better, right? So you're doing yours by choice. They're doing theirs by accident. Hmm. Which one comes with more negative karma? Interesting. Sounds like the difference between somebody who's just mixing some chemicals together because they found some shit and they don't know what they're doing and somebody else is acting more like a mad scientist. Or an assassin. Okay. So either way, right? The third one is sloth. Or it's sometimes it's called tuper, but it's laziness, right? Okay. Because, you know, if I have to move my muscles, man, it hurts. Whatever. Okay. It's too much fucking work. Okay? If somebody could just do that for me, that'd be awesome. Right. I don't feel well today. Yeah. No, you feel just fine. Okay. What you don't feel like doing is moving. Okay. So, right. Some people have a hard time seeing sense, sensual, uh, sexual pleasure or those addictions, sense addictions. It's a better term for it, right? Well, how's that, how's that a dream killer? Well, if I'm constantly distracted by stuff, right? This stuff feels good, man. I mean, you know, what's the harm? Well, it's distracting you away from the shit that you say is important. Okay? You can't attain your goals or, or realize your dreams if you're going to be like, you know, watch every, every freaking porn movie that pops up. Or when I say porn, I don't necessarily mean sex again. See, everybody goes to that, right? That's an addiction right there. Or it's a, um, it's a, it's a mental habit because we only have one definition for it, right? But we've heard terms like, Music porn, food porn, whatever, right? My wife, now she doesn't do it so much anymore, but
which he used to. God, if there was a cooking show on, right? I don't care if it was Diners, Driving, and Dives or if it was like Bobby Flay's newest contest or you know, whatever, right? She, she was watching that stuff, right? The the uh, Great Baking Contest or Cupcake Wars or, or whatever, right? So watching these things, um, what's not getting done? Now, my wife works really, really hard, so I don't give a shit what she watches. But, right? Okay. But I can't pull myself away from my phone, right? Because the world might do something that I don't know about. Yeah, well, you know what? What you're watching is one one hundredth of a thousandth percent of all the shit that's going on in the world. So good luck with that, right? But there's an addiction, right? If I'm caught up in whatever it is that I can't not do, then never going to attain things that require my attention to be somewhere else. Okay? Same thing. Anger, whatever, right? Okay? If everything has to go exactly to plan, or I'm going to be pissed off, or if people don't meet my expectations, or they don't help me, or whatever it is, right, that I'm going to be pissed off, and I'm going to spend my day seething and whatever, then I'm not going to attain my goals. Okay? Laziness, well, that speaks to for itself. Okay? If you're not willing to do for fucking work, then you know what? Nobody else can do it for you. Although... There's a whole mentality in society. And I get social safety nets. I absolutely do. But to want government regulation passed that requires people to give up a portion of their labor so that I don't have to work. I'm not talking about people who need. I'm talking about people who, like, why should I fucking work, man, if they're just going to cut me a check? You know, that check comes off the back of people who do get their ass up every morning and go to work and produce in society and things like that, right? So there's that, right? The fourth one is restlessness and remorse. So this is a uh, a mind that's constantly bouncing around. So it could be distraction, but it could also be a constant, consistent, never-ending focus on the things that didn't get done, right? And it just becomes a habit pattern. So, but instead of going, okay, you know, I, I didn't get it done yesterday, but today I'm going to do, I'm going to get it done, or I'm going to get twice as much done because I need to get caught up, or whatever, right? Um, no, there's a constant, well, you know, and for a lot of people, They'll hit this, and then that'll turn into sloth and laziness because, well, what's the point? I've already wasted this much time, right? I'm already this age. Um, you know, what's the chances of me getting that? Well, if you start moving now, you'll be a whole lot farther. So there's there's an old, I don't know if it's Chinese or whatever, but there's this old adage, right? When was the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. What's the second best time to plant a tree? Today. Okay. But if I'm remorseful that I didn't plant a tree 20 years ago, so I don't have a fully grown tree that's producing fruit or acorns or whatever the hell it's producing right today, and that's the reason I'll do it tomorrow, or I don't do it today for tomorrow, or I didn't start martial arts when I was, right, when was the best time to start martial arts or self-defense training 20 years ago, because okay? the skill level that you have right now will pretty much handle 95 to 90% of any attackers that will come at you. 
When's the second best time? Today. Same thing with personal development. Same thing with whatever, right? But people will take a pessimistic point of view, right? Well, it's waited this long. It can wait another hour. It's waited this long. It can wait another week. It's waited this long. It can, really, right? How about if you think about this? The longer it takes for you to get started is actually the longer that the disrespect for those you love and care about and are responsible for perpetuates or lasts because that's the longer it's going to take for you to be in a position where you can protect them to the degree that they need to be protected or whatever it is, right? Um, that was my mentor when I, when I was, you know, not taking action because of uh, imposter syndrome, which was unfounded and all that kind of stuff, right? He goes, dude, you owe it to the people that you could be freaking helping. Why are you waiting another day and another day and another day, every day that you wait to not put out lessons or to not put together a program or to not do the corporate thing or whatever, is another day that either people go unprotected or unable to protect themselves or it's another day that that company has an opportunity to hire somebody that could be a bullshitter. Why are you denying the world your gifts? Why are you denying the world the power that you could potentially have to make a difference? Interesting, right? Anyway, and then there's that restlessness, right? God, just, oh, you know not living to my potential and okay so what other ones are going on because it's generally not one of these it's usually a couple of okay then the last one is skeptical doubt right and we doubt one of three things we doubt ourselves and our ability to actually do it or i like you know like i i quit I, i what i need sensei is i need for you to motivate me because i keep quitting things yeah i'll pass you mean you're not going to motivate me I can't motivate you. I can do things that might motivate you for a moment. But what, you want me to live with you? Kick you in the ass every time you don't move? No, you can't pay me enough. Okay, It's not possible. We're always looking for somebody else or something else or some, the best time, the right time, the bullshit, right? So one thing right, that we can doubt is us. Second thing we can doubt is uh, the program. Right. Whatever it is we're, we're thinking about taking or whatever. Right. Will this really be the thing? What if I fail? What if it's not right? Whatever. Right. And then the third thing that we can doubt is the vehicle. Right. The, the form that the lessons are in. OK. So we may want to do Mikyo or we may want to do Ninjutsu or whatever, but somebody puts together a program that has an English name to it. Right. They translated the Japanese into the English. But see, if it doesn't have the Japanese, man, I don't, I don't know that I can take it seriously. I have a book that's out, um, The Karate Myth, right? Everything that's in it is taken right from our, our training, right? I just didn't use any Japanese. And I've had people that have written me and said, hey, have you thought about writing that for, or rewriting that for Budinga people or Nijutsu people? I'm like, why? Well, you know, I feel much more comfortable if it has the Japanese words and uh, the kanji and stuff like that. But it's the same stuff. It's just in English. Well, I know. I just want to take the traditional route. Why? You're not fucking Japanese. 
You don't even read Japanese. Okay? But, see, there's this skepticism that if it's not in the form that I need it to be to stroke ego, then I just don't know if that's going to work for me, man. Or the, the, the art form or whatever, right? Or the, the, the system, right? Well, I don't know, man. I've heard negative things about that Nijutsu stuff. Oh, well, I'm sorry that you're, I've, I've even said this to people, right? I'm sorry that your, uh, your personal experience with it didn't live up to your expectations. I've never fucking done that stuff. Why the hell the hell do you know? You're just taking somebody else's word for it? How the hell do you know what they did? Right? Or we doubt ourselves. Okay? So, anyway, right? So what are the antidotes? I've already alluded to some of the antidotes for, for handling some of these things, right? I feel bad for the people online. Uh, or the people that make those comments, right? That protects me. I know the root cause of a lot of these things, right? And I explore them much more deeply. I figure out where it comes from, okay? So, but defending against dream-killing fears begins with understanding where the hell, one, what fear is operating, two, what habit pattern that's created that I may not even be aware of that's perpetuating the problem where I'm in my own way, okay? Um, and three, I have to know, I have to be paying attention, right? And I have to, I have to push myself into the realms where the aggravation and the pain flare up. Because if that doesn't happen, then I have no way to follow it backwards to where it came from, right? It's just guesswork. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll close off with a little story here. Uh, my stepdad, uh, he absolutely hated uh, a certain type of doctor, right? These uh, osteopathic doctors. Right? I mean, if you know what an osteopath is, um, at the end of their name, if you read the doctor's name, and at the end, instead of saying MD, right, instead of having MD, it says uh, DO. Doctor of Osteopathy, right? Um, hated those people. He would never go to a doctor of osteopathy, ever, right? Because they don't believe in giving pain meds. And that's not exactly true. But when he was in pain, he just wanted a damn pill. All he cared about was the pain going away, right? Because, you know, if there's no pain, if there's just happiness and pleasure then there are no problems. Lots of people operate this way. Okay. But a DO doesn't jump to relieving the pain. A doctor of osteopathy will let the pain ride for a little bit because it allows them to figure out what the root cause of the pain is. And then they can treat that thing, which if they've hit the root, everything, all suffering and pain forward, go away. But if I take a pill that masks the pain, or if, I, if it makes the pain go away, then I don't know what the hell is causing the pain. And that's the difference. Okay? So how do we figure out? How do we defend against? We actually invite 
or um, create in some instances, right? But we start with the fear. Or we start with the closest thing to it that we can. And in this case, it would be the five hindrances. What is that fear causing us to do as a habit pattern to not have to think about the fear? What is it doing to distract us from the fear? What is it, right? So anyway, let me pop the, the chat up here, see if any questions or comments popped in uh, in the in the meantime. And we got to wrap this up because we're two hours in and I talk too damn much. So uh, Phil says I use humor as a defense mechanism. A lot of people do. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know what? Um, I, I think in a, in a previous episode, I mentioned um, my appreciation for comedians as philosophers. Because if you ever want to um, hide a message right in front of somebody who needs it, and it's an uncomfortable message, but they need to hear it, wrap it up in a joke. And tell it as many ways as possible until they go, hey, I don't think that's funny, man. I do that. Oh, well, the joke wasn't about you, right? And I'm sorry that you saw yourself in it, but... Um, yeah, I, I don't know about that. And then walk away, right? Okay. So, but comedians are great philosophers. Some are dicks, but some are really great philosophers. Uh, let's see. Dave Fletch. Childbirth is traumatic, especially for the father that watches it go down. Indeed. Indeed. Right? I mean, you're going to love that baby when it comes out, but, man, you're watching the love of your life just go through some major, major trauma. Right? And not only... Can you not do anything about it, but you don't want to because if you interfere, right, twice, right, out of my four kids, twice, I was in the room, and not that I wasn't in the room for other ones, but I was in the room, and the doctor said, Mr. Miller, would you like to cut the cord, right? And in one, I used humor, Phil, right? And I said, um, I don't see a sharp sword around here, right? They all laughed, right? But another one, right? Like the first time it happened, like the first time I saw the umbilical cord and how thick it was, and even if you've ever cut one, right, doesn't hurt the mom, doesn't hurt the baby or whatever, but holy shit, you could choke a yak with one of those things, right? Anyway, um, <laughs> um, they gave me this opportunity, and I, I looked around and I said, isn't there somebody more qualified in this room than me to – perform surgery and they all laughed and whatnot, but I was serious, right? Like you know, on top of that, you haven't seen me with a blade anyway. Um, so let's see. Uh, Tito Shinobi says, I remember those deployment checkups. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Anyway, uh, let's see. Julia says, I've heard negative about all systems. So you pick your battles. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, the person is speaking negative about something. Was it them? Was it the teacher? Was it actually the system? Was it? Okay. Because remember, when ego wants into something or wants something, it'll just talk. Ta-da! This is fucking the best thing since whatever, right? When it wants out or it's uncomfortable or whatever, oh, just all kinds of shit comes spewing out, right? So anyway. Dave says, thank you. This lesson is a great one. 
Well, good. I'm I'm glad that uh, it was worth what you paid for it. <laughs> anyway, all right. So uh, next week, James will probably not be on again. Uh, I think I have the topic chosen for next week. What are we doing next week? Uh, next week, I'm not sure what I'm going to title it yet. Right now is a toss up between. Um, well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I have a backup for this one. Uh, but we're going to call it Yappy Dog Disease for now. Okay. Actually, uh, the alternate, the possibility is the art of being silent. Okay. But we'll uh, we'll figure that out unless something else pops into my head between now and then, and that becomes it. But either way, uh, I'm glad that this was a benefit to those of you who stuck around uh, or had nothing else to do. So why not listen to the old fat bald guy? Um, but either way, right? Um, think about it. Again, uh, we're going to be doing a free uh, live webinar on Thursday that will be like the previous uh, programs where it's a pre-lesson. It'll be something big picture, but something from the upcoming program, which is called The First Seven Steps on the Path of a Buddha, which I designed as a prerequisite for my students who wanted to do uh, Mikyo, because if you don't understand these basic premises, then trying to understand that stuff, which, you know, you're saying things in a foreign language and you're making gestures with fingers and what it's just, it, if you don't get it, you're not going to get it. And you can actually screw yourself up because um, one of the warnings from my, one of my Mikio teachers was don't, don't screw around with this. Okay. Cause you're screwing around with your sanity. Okay. And it's not because you're doing goofy stuff or whatever. It's because, um, when you practice something, anything, right? If you've ever learned a technique and you didn't realize that you saw something incorrectly, but you went and practiced your ass off for like a week or two, and then you went back to class and here now you had this bad habit wired into you because that's the way you practiced it. And she said, no, 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 it's, it's this way. And then you had a hell of a time trying to undo the, right? So now we're, talking about perception we're talking about um aligning things and being able to create uh like not just uh uncover all the shit that's in the way right we, we got to get rid of the facades to get the authenticity but see the way mikio does things is you're bringing a you're bringing a a uh, you're bringing forward these aspects of yourself and these, these certain traits and whatnot, and you're going to practice using these things, right? Um, the reason it's accelerated. Now, when we bring these things forward, we say that we're not, we're not acting as us. We're acting as Fudo Myo, Gozante Myo, Kanon, uh, whatever. Right. But see, again, from the wrong perspective, right. I have whatever. Right. Um, but what we're actually doing is it's, it's a process of recreation, right? We, we take the logic of we are who we are today because of all of the thoughts, decisions, feelings, experiences, education, whatever, right? That's produced us from time immemorial, right, to just this moment because now I'm in a different place, right? Um, it's cause and effect, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to use models, role models, 
and just like we did when we were growing up, right? But these things are pure, right? There are, there, there are no negative aspects to them. Like my, my uncle, right? Who, he was my role model for, um, for humor, making people laugh and stuff. Screwed around in my head all the time, right? He was a drinker, right? Heavy smoker, right? The end of his life came because he needed emergency surgery or not emergency surgery, but he needed some surgery for his heart. That was, it was not dangerous surgery, right? It, it was 98, 99% success rate. Okay, um, but he couldn't have it because he smoked unfiltered cigarettes his entire freaking life. And at that point in his life, he was walking around with those little uh, the, the oxygen kind of thing on him. Right. And um, he couldn't walk more than three or four steps without being out of breath. So the surgery was absolutely safe, just not for somebody that had his oxygen uh, processing was shit. So the anesthesia would have killed him, not the anesthesia itself. It wouldn't have poisoned him, but anesthesia lowers your respiratory rate. He had, he had no ability for, for lowering anything. So he'd have been dead before they even got a chance to cut him open. So um, that's, that's bad fucking karma. Right. So anyway, um, but what we're doing is we're using this idea of a role model except these are pure, right? And so we're going to think like, speak like, act like, whatnot. And we're going to do that often enough that our habit patterns change internally, externally, right? And we become this new thing. We become the new us. But instead of pissing around with it and doing it whenever we feel like it, or to the degree that we feel like it, or we're only going to do the stuff that we like or whatever. This, this is a concentrated question and nuts. Do it. You're putting all your eggs in one basket. And right. So anyway, so again, um, what we'll do, I, I'm still trying to work out which exact lesson I'm going to do uh, on Thursday, but I will know by tomorrow morning. Cause I got to, I got to have the uh, registration page. I know it's free, but I want to know, Who's putting their hand up that they're interested in that direction um, before I even put out a general message? Because this this is not a, you know, let's see how many used cars we can sell. Right. Um, I really only, only want to be talking to people that are seriously interested in this direction and not just freaking kicking tires or signing up because they're afraid they're going to miss out on something. OK. That's. Okay. They're they're what they're trying to do is avoid the remorse stage that we were talking about with Andrews. Right. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got. Uh again, James won't be on again uh next week, so I'll be flying solo. Um and then we'll oh we'll see what we're gonna do moving forward, okay? All right. Uh that's oh, almost forgot. Fall camp, right? Um I am not able to make it to Japan this uh this year with the thing I was playing in September. I'm gonna have to push it into the spring. So um, the theme for fall camp, right, uh, you can find it at onlineninjaacademy.com forward slash events. There's a little extra explanation afterwards, but, right, the basic premise is blades, canes, and chains, okay? No, it's not uh, dominat- dominatrix things or anything. Some of you guys, your brain just keeps going to the same damn place. Right. So anyway, um, but 
not just heavy on weapons, but also what those uh, weapons are symbolic of. So we're going to be doing some inner work as well off the mandala. So um, if you can make it, it's October 13th to the 15th, I think. But go to onlineninjaacademy.com. It's right down there in the lower right right there. And then put a forward slash and events. And I'll have something else here in a couple of days or whatever to kind of round that out. But originally it was going to be a Japan recap thing. But because I'm not going to Japan uh, this time around, I had to come up with a theme. So that's what we're doing, right? If there's other things that you are interested in, want to let me know. I will have a couple of my uh, senior black belt instructors doing some breakout sessions. Uh, and uh, so there'll be some other things in there as well that may or may not fit the theme. Uh, so there's there's room, right? So uh, there's something that you'd specifically like to see. And you're actually going to friggin' show up. Um, that'd be great. Uh, now, if you toss in something that I think lots of people would be interested in, um, then it doesn't matter if you show up. Okay? You can pull the sloth thing. You can pull the desire distraction thing you can put whatever okay is this me being an ass no this is me being honest okay this is what happens when you pick me as a teacher okay so anyway uh for those of you who are in one of the programs uh including foundations which you would normally normally get the, the monday evening class i bonered on that one so i will see you guys tomorrow night at 6 p.m eastern uh for the uh virtual class from the dojo we're doing some sparring stuff, matching the five phases of self-defense that we worked last uh, worked on Friday. Uh, but instead of doing it based on a kata model, we're going to let Rondori expose our ability to manage the five phases in a self-defense situation. That'll be fun. Well, for me. Right, we'll see. We'll see what everybody else does. All right, that's it. I'll talk to everybody again next time on where are we? Kuden. Get more of Kuden Radio. Subscribe through your favorite podcasting site, or join our clan of serious modern warriors at onlineninjaacademy.com.